Well, good morning. Hey, there we go. Good morning. All right. So this morning we will be in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 7, going all the way to 25. Uh, I hope that walking through the book of Romans has been encouraging to you as it has to me. Uh, It has strengthened my walk with the Lord um, because it is preaching the gospel to me daily. Every day that I read it, it is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to me and it is clearing up in my mind what the true gospel is and what it does in my life. So I just briefly want to go through what we have been through in Romans so far. If you haven't walked with us yet, this is what we've been through so far. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, Paul, he introduces himself as a servant, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, set apart for Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. And at the end of his intro, he gives us the theme of his letter, which is very important. And this is his theme. He is not ashamed of the gospel. He is not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. And in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness by faith. Romans chapter 1 verse 19 through chapter 3 verse 20. Paul gives us an understanding of who we are. And what we deserve because of who we are. We are righteous only in Christ. But outside of Christ, we are unrighteous people because we cannot uphold God's law. And we deserve the wrath of God. Paul says that we would rather trade. We would rather trade the truth for a lie. We would rather trade creator God for his creation. We deserve the wrath of God. We are unrighteous people. And the law, he says, is what makes us accountable to God. And so no one, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight through the work of the law. And then in Romans chapter 3 verse 21 through chapter 5 verse 21, he shifts and he gives us our hope. He gives us the way in which we can be declared righteous before God. That is through faith in Christ and in his work, not our own. That is God's grace. That we can be justified by faith in Jesus. Nothing we can boast in, only in Christ. So we ask a very important question. Does this nullify the faith? Does this nullify the law, I mean, by this very faith? He said, absolutely not. Rather, by this very faith, we come to uphold the law. Do you hear what he says? 
He says we don't throw out the law. The law doesn't become less valuable. We don't throw it out, but rather we uphold it because of this faith. And at the end of the section, he speaks of the law increasing our sin, and where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And now we're in this section, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, through chapter 7, verse 6, which we ended with last Sunday. And Paul is speaking about our sanctification in Christ. That because we are united with Christ, we have a new master. We have been set free from our sin. We have died to our sin. And part of the reason we are not enslaved to sin any longer is because we are no longer under law, but under grace. He says this is never a license to sin because we're under grace. Just because you have grace doesn't mean you can sin more. Grace, rather, leads us to holiness. We can bear fruit for God because we have His Spirit. We have a new way of the Spirit rather than the old way of the law in our flesh. This is what we have gone through so far in Romans. Beautiful picture of the gospel. But you see in that, of all that he has said, he mentions the law multiple times, right? He talks about the law and how it relates to our sin, but he talks about the law and how it relates to us now. The gospel changes the way we relate to the law. And before Christ, the law became their hope. But in it, they could not find any hope. So what has Paul said about the law so far? I'm going to sum it up. Only Christ can do what the law was never able to do in us. That is, declare us as righteous before a holy God and lead us to righteous lives for his glory. It is faith in Christ and what he has done that makes us righteous before a holy God. Isn't that good news? It's being united with Christ, having his spirit in us, walking in his spirit that we are able to live lives of righteousness. This does not mean perfection. We'll see that coming up here. This does not mean a life of perfection. It's impossible. That's why we need Jesus. So don't hear me to say that you must live absolute perfect lives. But it does mean a shift from desiring wickedness to desiring holiness. And we live based upon that new desire. This leads us right up to Romans chapter 7, verse 7, where Paul is going to continue to defend the law and help us see the very value we have in it. So let's read Romans chapter 7, 
verse 7 through 13, and then we'll get into 14 through 25. Verse 7, he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, Deceive me, and through the commandment, put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. So here we see that the law is not sin. But rather, it is holy. It is righteous. And it is good. Isn't it so much easier when something goes wrong or something messes up? We'd rather blame everything else and everyone else but ourselves. We see this in our own life, don't we? We see this all the time. And we do this with our own sin. We would rather point out the sin of someone else and look at their sin rather than look at our own sin in the issue. And this is what Paul is trying to get us to avoid with the law. We want to blame the perfect law of God rather than look within our own lives and see the sinful flesh that leads us to break this very law? Verse 7 and 12, Paul tells us what the law isn't And what the law is, the law is not sin, but the law is holy, righteous, and good. So first, why did Paul actually have to defend the law, that it was not sin? It's because he claimed that the law and sin is this duo force to be reckoned with. They have a dangerous relationship to one another, but law... The law was not the issue. It's the sin. The law arouses our sinful desires, and the law increases our sin. The law is being used by sin. But if that's true, the question is is the law itself sin? And he says in verse 7 certainly not. Certainly not. And he asked that question because he seems to think that so far of what he said of the law, 
that it would be twisted to mean that the law is actually sin. He continues to explain why the law is not sin, but has great value to us. The law is not sin because it shows us what sin really is. He illustrates that with the Tenth Commandment, coveting, which means wrongful desires. We understand that there are good desires, right? But this is wrongful, sinful, fleshly desires. He says, I would not know what coveting was unless the law said so. James says the word is like a mirror. That when we look into it, we see our real selves. And this is what the law does for us. We can look at the law And when we break it, we can see sin as sin. So the law, it defines our sin. It defines our sin and it gets us to see our sin as actually sin. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like a strong bow and a straight arrow and a steady hand. But without a target and a bullseye, You really never know how great and strong the bow is, how straight the arrow really is, and how steady the hand that is holding all of it. It's the same way with the law. Our sin is great. Our sin is horrible. Our sins are many. But without the law, we cannot see accurately how great our sin really is. And that is what the law does in us. So the law is valuable. Doesn't seem like it, but the law is valuable in that it leads us to Christ. The law can never be our Savior, but it leads us to Him. Verse 8, we see that the law shows us our own desire to sin. It doesn't just show us sin. It shows us our desire to sin. The law is the very tool and instrument that is used by sin to arouse within us the desire of the opposite things of God and His goodness and His character. Isn't it amazing what our sin can do with the law? It takes something so good and holy and it produces in us weakness and wickedness and unrighteousness which leads to death. This is what I want you to hear. When the law of God is given, this is what our sinful flesh does with it. It makes the mistake and views it as a restriction. We see this in our own kids and even in our own lives. There's a law given, and we view it as a restriction, which then turns into resentment, and then it leads us to rebellion. God gives us his law because he loves 
his children. He loves his people. And he gives us what is good for our own good and for his glory. The law's purpose, it says, was to bring life. But because our sinful flesh, it brought about death. And this is what happens when we think we are sovereign and a better God than creator God. Verse 12, we see God is revealed through his holy law, his righteous law, and his good law. This reveals the character of God. So the law, it is good because it came from a good God. It is righteous because it came from a righteous God. It is holy because it came from a holy God. You see, the law reveals the beautiful, perfect character of the God who gave it. So the law is not about a bunch of rules that we can't do, but rather... It's more about a holy, righteous God, a good God to love and obey. In verse 13, we see the law reveals sin as utterly sinful. This is the last thing in this section. The law reveals sin as utterly sinful. It's not the law that brought death, but the sin used what is good to bring about death. And now we can understand the weightiness of our sin. We can see that sin is utterly sinful. I have become more aware of my greatness of sin because the law has showed me it. And this leads us right into Paul and his own awareness and struggle with sin. This is Paul's own fight with the law, the law of sin and his delight in the law of God. And before we read it, first I just want to say that um, this passage is not an easy passage. It's, it's kind of hard. I don't want to come up here and say that I've got it down. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to lead you and to say that this is it. I'm just telling you what I'm convicted of in this passage and what I see is true. So let's read Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 25, and let's look at Paul fight sin as a believer. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. 
But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my nature a slave to the law of sin. That's a tongue twister, right? I had to practice that, by the way. I had to practice reading that because it's really hard to read. But here we see Paul is fighting his own sin. Now, there's, there's two main views of this passage. One is that this is not Paul as a converted man. This is Paul as a pre-converted man. This is the life before Jesus. And then the other view is that this is Paul after his conversion, struggling with sin. This is a hard, controversial passage, but I believe that Paul here is not talking about that pre-converted place in his life. I believe Paul is talking about his struggle with his own sin as a changed believer. So here's the main struggle with saying that about Paul in this passage, because there is a struggle with it. We see this in the whole passage there. How can someone who has said all he has said about dying to sin, no longer bound to the master of sin, and seem like he's living in that very realm of sin? I see the struggle. I struggled with it myself. And for me, I believe Paul is not describing his struggle with sin and feeling defeated as his whole Christian life. But that is at least a part of it, right? We would agree to that. That the whole Christian life is not a life of victory. There is some defeat. The Christian life will have its moments of slipping into sin, but we are to fight sin. We're to fight it. And this is what fighting sin looks like in this passage. Paul, he's going to humbly give us a look into his own Christian life of struggling with sin. And I hope that from it we are encouraged in our moments of weakness and defeat of how we fight sin well. I want to read two quotes because I think these guys say it way better than I could ever say it. So there's two quotes, one from John Piper and one from J.I. Packer, very respectable men. John Piper says, I think what Paul is saying is not that Christians live in continual defeat, but that no Christian lives in continual victory over sin. And in those moments... In times when we fail to triumph over sin, Romans 7, 14 through 25 is the normal way a healthy Christian should respond. J.I. Packer says, Paul wasn't struggling with sin because he was such a sinner. Paul was struggling because he was such a saint. Sin makes you numb. And people who sin 
over and over and over again become desensitized to sin. The reason Paul's struggle, that word struggle, means something different than we probably use it as. But the reason Paul's struggle was so intense was not because he was caught in the web of sin or because he thought of himself as hopelessly doomed to giving in to the temptations that he faced. Rather, it was because Paul lived a life so sensitive to the Holy Spirit and passionate about the glory of God that he intensely felt his sin whenever he became aware of it. Since he was not, of course, sinlessly perfect. And we would agree, I would at least agree, that struggling with sin is not absent from the Christian life. But struggling with sin does not mean that we are free to sin over and over and over and over and over again and again. That's not what struggling with sin means. Struggling with sin is fighting sin and being brutally honest about it. And this will lead us to genuine lives of holiness. Not a facade, not fake, not hypocritical, but genuine holiness. So let's look at Paul's struggle with sin and let's watch how he fights the war he has inside of him. So Paul's war is about this main conflict. It's between delighting in God's law and the struggle of failing to keep it because of his indwelling sin. Now to you that may seem off, but we all know as believers we still have some remaining sin in us, right? We still struggle with our flesh, that sinful nature. And so we see the first conflict in verse 14. This idea of delighting in a law, he says, for we know the law is spiritual. He sees it and recognizes the law as good and from God. But then... In his indwelling sin, he sees it. He says, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So he sees his flesh is not good, and his flesh still has indwelling sin to fight. Conflict number two we see in verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. What I want to do, doing what I hate. You see the conflict in his life? Paul has not made peace with his sin. Rather, he hates his sin. My question is, have you become numb to your sin? Do you live in sin over and over and over and over and it no longer has an effect on you anymore? Are you numb to that? 
seeing your sin should produce in you hatred towards it. Conflict number three, verses 16 through 17. Again, we see this delighting in the law. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. And then he sees and acknowledges his indwelling sin. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So again, although we're a new creation created in Christ, we still have remaining sin to fight. Conflict number four in verse 18, he says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. You see how he's separating himself? This is his sinful nature, not him. He says, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. This ability, we know, only comes from the Holy Spirit. He says he's wanting to do what is good, but acknowledging his human, fleshly inability to do so. Romans 8 will give us a great understanding of the Spirit of God, and it's his great help for our lives to fight indwelling sin. And lastly, conflict number 5, verse 22 You see, he delights in the law. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. In verse 23, he acknowledges his indwelling sin again. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul the believer, he says he's a slave to God's law and that he delights in his law from deep within. But also the law to sin is still waging war against the desires that he has in the spirit. So here we see the Christian life is war. It is spiritual war. If you haven't had war with your sin yet, you might want to ask yourself, how are you walking in the Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit? Because we know that when we walk in the Spirit, the flesh comes in and tries to make us do what the Spirit wants to do in us. So the Christian life is war, but at least there's war. We see that the Christian is still fighting to love the law of God, still fighting to delight in his law, to desire to be obedient, to hate his own personal sin and not make peace with it, to admit admit the struggle with the reality of remaining sin. And in that, we understand that we need more than the law to fight sin for us. That we need His Spirit. We need to be united to Christ. So when we recognize 
We need the help to live out the righteous life God has called us to. We will then put our trust and hope upon God's Spirit for victory over our inability and our remaining sin. And we see that finally in verse 25. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me in Christ. He sees his great need. He sees his need for rescue. And he finds it in Jesus. We have hope and we have victory today and forever for all eternity. So today, we look to Christ. We look to him for our victory. And we wait for the day we experience the fullness of this victory in the perfect presence of Jesus Christ. I want to read Galatians 5, 16 through 18 again. And I hope this word encourages you. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would do a work in us that your word would be clear to our hearts and that your spirit would teach us God if we are honest we struggle with our sin on a daily basis and we desperately need your help to fight the sin that still remains in us God we desire to be obedient to you And we delight in your law, for it is good and it is perfect and it is right. But God, help us. Help us in our flesh. Help us in our own ways, that you would lead us to your ways. Through your spirit and through your word, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.